Brother Dave, do you have any announcements we need to make this morning and that you're aware of? Yes, you do? All right. Brother Robert attended our church many, many years before the move to Texas. Uh, PETA's uh, brother-in-law, um, his funeral is today. Um, cancer took his mortal body, but Jesus took his soul. And he's uh, absent with the body, present with the Lord. And those of you who remember Robert, I uh, hope you'll pray for his wife and um, children, girls uh, uh, way out in the world need to get right with God. Maybe this funeral will do the job and draw them in. It's one thing to live carelessly when you're surrounded by life, but when death visits, oftentimes that'll cause people to ponder uh, where they're going to spend eternity. So we hope the Lord will bless in the funeral service. And I still remember Robert the, the day we dedicated this building, standing in the front testifying, weeping about how much he loved Jesus and how Jesus had saved him and changed his life, and he stayed true to God right up till the Dave stepped out of this world. We thank God for that. So, amen. All right, Brother David. Several things real quick. We've got uh, this afternoon for our boys and girls ages 12 and up. I'll be staying for lunch, have some fellowship at the church house, and then join the crew for 3 o'clock uh, door-to-door witnessing. And could use some extra help there. That would be a blessing. This Friday for our same group, uh, youth ages 12 and up, there's a youth rally at Orlando Baptist Temple. So we'll be leaving from the downtown preaching corner at Woodland, New York at 5.30 and headed down to Orlando for that youth rally. Be sure that you come out for that. There's a sign-up sheet still in the lobby for men and boys camp out. That's Friday and Saturday, October 25th and 26th. And we'll have some more detail for you on that next week, but that'll be a blessing. Hope you sign up and participate with that. Uh, also, there's a, a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board in the lobby. Um, for several years, we've ordered some scripture calendars and made those available. We are going to get some of those in. And so the calendar there is for you to take a look at. And if you'd like to sign up and purchase uh, one or several of those, they're $6 a piece. And you can sign up uh, there in the lobby. Also, we ordered uh, a, a, a large order of Jesus Saves Bible Baptist t-shirts here recently. Half of them had the wrong screen print. If you got one of those and you want it replaced for what it was, or closer to what it was supposed to be, I need you to get that shirt to me by tonight so I can turn those in tomorrow. Some of them, instead of the text being larger, it was just more spread out, and that wasn't what we wanted. So if you got one where it's spread out instead of big, then we'll get that replaced for you. Just bring that to me by tonight. All right, Bible time. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter number 1. Chapter number 1. We have been studying for several months now <clears throat> the many names given to Jesus throughout the Bible. And <clears throat> months into this study, we have come all the way to the letter C. And we've quite enjoyed looking at what the Bible says about our great Savior. There's a lot in a name. And uh, his, his names, uh, on Thursday night, we looked at Jesus as the chief shepherd and the chiefest among 10,000. This morning we begin <clears throat> what we cannot finish in one service. We begin to tackle Jesus' name or title that is Christ. 
532 times in the Bible, Jesus is called Christ. We'll only have time to look at about 520 of those this morning. <clears throat> well, maybe not that many. He's called Jesus Christ 189 times, Christ Jesus 58 times, Lord Jesus Christ 82 times. Not one time in all the Bible is he called Christ as a cuss word. Not one time is he called Jesus Christ as an oath someone swears when something doesn't go their way. Not one time is he called Jesus when somebody stubs their toe or drops something on the job. These names are holy names. <laughs> Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're to remember the name of the Lord and to keep it holy. I, I am embarrassed to live in a nation where the only decent person who ever walked this earth is the most cursed and despised name in all the world. I, I am, I'm embarrassed and ashamed that I have to work with people and dine with people and travel with people and do business with people who think nothing of blaspheming the holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's become so commonplace now that, that people hardly even notice it. But I'm telling you, this name is above every name. This name is a name chosen by God before which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And it, it is a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake for anyone to make to reduce the name of Jesus Christ to a curse word, a swear word, or an oath. It's the saving name, the saving name that uh, we honor and we respect this morning. And so we're going to look what the Bible says about Christ in His coming to the earth and the reason for His coming. And then this evening, Lord willing, we're going to look at the name of, of Christ in its present relationship to the people living in this world. And then in a future lesson, we're going to look at, at the things that are possessed by this one who is called Christ. So let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, we thank you, sincerely thank you for the Bible, your, your word. We believe it's pure and perfect and holy and righteous. We ask that you lead us and guide us in its study this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1, the New Testament begins this way. <clears throat> the book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. And, and given is this genealogy whereby the Jewish people reading the book of Matthew can know and can verify that Jesus, the one born in the manger at Bethlehem, has the right to sit upon the throne of David at Jerusalem. And it lists, beginning at verse 2, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And down we go through the Old Testament history, tracing the, the national line of Israel from Abraham all the way until we get to verse number 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Jesus is the name of the baby lying in the manger. Christ is the title given to that baby from the very moment he is born. Now, it would do us well to search the pages of the Holy Bible to find out why it is 
that having named his son, occupying a body of flesh, Jesus. When, when that son was born, God the Father announced, and, and the, the foster father Joseph and the mother Mary named that child Jesus. The Bible says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But this Jesus was called Christ. What does that mean? Why is this designation given? Turn to John chapter number 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter number 1. John chapter 1. A group of men are talking with John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been proclaiming that the Savior was coming. The Redeemer was coming. The Lord was coming to Israel. And the Bible says in John 1.35, again the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? They didn't really answer the question. It's one thing you'll notice in reading the four Gospels. Usually when Jesus asked men a question, they dodged it. They didn't know the answer. What seek ye? And their answer was, where do you live? That's an odd answer to that question. Uh, he saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. So, John tells us that Jesus is called Christ, and Christ is understood as meaning Messiah. The Christ is the Messiah, the Messiah is Christ. Now, Having read that, again, I, I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm not trying to talk down to people who know something about their Bible. But, but we live in a day when people either assume they know what the Bible teaches or just have never heard what the Bible teaches. And so it's important that we take time to look. What does Messiah mean? What does Christ mean? When, when this man said to his friends, we have found Messiah, what did they find? When the New Testament says, having found Messiah, they found Christ, what did they find? Come all the way back in the Old Testament to Daniel, the book of Daniel, and chapter number 9. <clears throat> Daniel chapter number 9. Daniel, the ninth chapter. The last of the, <clears throat> of the great prophets that God gave to Israel. They had major prophets and minor prophets, and that's just uh, divided up by the amount of information the Lord used them to deliver to the nation of Israel. But the last of their great prophets was Daniel. And Daniel gave this prophecy in the ninth chapter and verse number 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. 
Now, it's not our purpose this morning to expose it and to try to figure out what this 70 weeks means. This is what Daniel, sa- Daniel said as God gave him the words to speak to his people, the nation of Israel. 70 weeks are determined to finish the transgressions and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, the prophecy involves somebody who is going to come and do what all of their kings could not do. The prophecy involves somebody who is going to come and do what all of their priests could never do. The prophecy involves somebody who is going to come and do what all of their sacrifices offered on all of their altars could never do. Someone is coming who will finish the transgression. He's going to look at every violation of God's holy commandments and settle that matter once and for all. Someone is coming who is going to make an end of sins. He's going to be able to draw a line in time and say, sin's dominion over man stops right here. That's who we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who can make reconciliation for iniquity. When someone is found to be unclean in their heart or in their thoughts or in their life, they are separated from a holy God Who is going to bring that sinner back into a right relationship with God? Daniel is prophesying that someone is going to come at a set point in time in history who is going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Not a government, not a religion, not a priest, not a king, not a preacher. Somebody's going to come who can make things right Forever. That's the prophecy. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, should be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street should be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Now, here's what people do. They want to get a book about prophecy and figure out what the 62 weeks and the 7 weeks and the 1 week are. Well, that's all well and good. It's part of the Bible. But how about that Messiah coming to take away sins? And they want to figure out, well, when does the clock start? And when does it stop? And, and, and what, what historical parameters are here? And all of that's interesting. But what about the Messiah coming to take away sins? Okay, if you've got the 69 weeks in the right place and the one week in the right place and the 70 weeks put where they ought to be and you figure out who builds the wall and you figure out what the perilous times are and you never get your sins forgiven, you lose your soul for eternity. So the real exciting thing about Daniel 9 is Messiah is coming to reconcile man to God. Messiah is coming to draw a line and say, from this day forward, you can be free from sin. That's, that's the exciting thing. And the Bible says in verse number 26, And after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And this is, this is what caused the Jewish scholars and Bible students to fall right off their bicycle. 
How can Messiah solve our problems if He dies? How can Messiah bring peace on earth if He dies? How can Messiah make an end of sin's dominion if He dies? And the Bible answer, as we'll see this morning and tonight, is that's the only way He can do it. Messiah has to come and die for iniquity, and die for transgression, and die for sin, so that through His sacrificial payment by His death, man can be reconciled to God. Now, what what the people knew from the time Daniel's prophecy was given in 500 plus B.C., until that baby was laid in that manger, is that one day God is going to send a Messiah to set us free and to reconcile us to Himself. And from that day forward, prophets came and military leaders came and heroes came and governors came and nobody, nobody fit the bill. And then 33 or 30 years after that baby was born at Bethlehem, John the Baptist said, there he is. There he is. And these men had the integrity. These men had the curiosity to follow Jesus and investigate and examine and to question. And when they did, they came to this conclusion. We have found Messiah. And when they found Messiah, they said, that is Christ. Okay? So when the Bible calls Jesus the Christ, Christ is the promised Savior of the Old Testament who would free men from sin and reconcile them to God. Now I say it again. How dare any man on your job or any child in the hallway of your school use the holy name of Christ as a curse word or a swear word? He's the only hope you've got. Curse sin. Why don't you curse sin? Don't curse Christ. We found Him, the Christ. Now, let's go back. Let's go back to John. Or, I'm sorry, Matthew. Matthew, chapter number 16. Go back to Matthew, chapter number 16. First book of the New Testament. Matthew 16. And verse number 13, Matthew 16, 13. Here's another group of men. They've followed, they've investigated, they've examined, they've listened, they've seen. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now here again, He's asking a question. And... I I would love to have had Jesus for one of my school teachers or college professors. He said, here's what he said in the question. Can anybody tell me what 2 plus 2, 4 is? Can anybody tell me the third letter of the C, alphabet? Go look at the question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Can anybody guess? (laughs) He gives them the answer in the question. 
Only Peter's going to step up. They said, some say, thou art John the Baptist. That's not an answer. Some say, Elias. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am. There we go. It's not going to matter in eternity what somebody else thought about Jesus. It's not going to matter in eternity what your mom thought, or your dad thought, or your children thought, or your boss thought. What think ye? What's your answer? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Now let me ask you a question. People in this world, well-meaning people, broad-minded people, deep-thinking people, say, I believe Jesus was a very good man. Had an evolutionist arguing against the Bible, tell me that on a street corner just a week or so ago. I believe Jesus is a very good man, a very good teacher. How could you be a very good man when you're a lying egomaniac? Look, if you're not the Christ and somebody says, I believe you're the Christ, you don't say, good for you. You say, no, sorry, you, you, you've way overjudged me. I'm just a carpenter. I'm just a nice guy. I'm going to teach some things that people argue about. I'm going to give the Sermon on the Mount and people will like that. Then I'm going to teach about hell and people will say I didn't really mean it. That's, I'm just one of those guys. But Peter said, thou art the Christ. And he said, you got it. Now, he's not a good teacher if he's not teaching the truth. And he's not a good man if he's, if he's got that overinflated view of himself. But you know who he was? He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, Peter said, I believe you are the one who has come to put an end to the transgression." who has come to put a stop to sin, who has come to reconcile man to God, I believe you are the hope that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years. And Jesus said, you're right. You're right. That's who he is. You know, I think sometimes even, even Bible-believing Christians in a good church, we, just, we use terms we've heard all our life. And we repeat things and we think we kind of know what they mean. Uh, all of us have heard words used in conversation and we guess at their meaning. Then we look them up and say, well, I didn't know that. Christ is not his middle name or his last name. You know, my, 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 my name is James, middle name Wilson. That's my two grandfathers. And my last name is Knox. It's not Lord Jesus Christ. His first name's not Lord, his middle name's Jesus, and his last name's Christ. Jesus is the name of his humanity. Lord is who he has been for all eternity. Christ is his title and designation by virtue of what he came to do. He came to take away sin and reconcile man to God. That's who he is. That's why the Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you believe in Jesus, he's just a good man, you don't get saved. If you believe he's Lord, well, you know, he can do anything, you don't get saved. You have to believe that man who is Lord 
took away sin by himself. And he alone reconciles men to God. If you don't believe that, you can't be saved. Bible, Listen, Bible uses every word just where it should be for a reason. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter number 2. So, he's, he's born Jesus. He's called Christ. That's the Old Testament Messiah. He's the Son of the living God who came to take away the sins of the world. Now, Matthew 2, verse number 1. Here comes the rub. What, what we're going to read about in Matthew 2 has repeated itself billions of times since Matthew 2. It repeats itself in individual lives, in classrooms, in job lunchroom breaks, in automobiles, on street corners, on door-to-door visitation. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east, to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, here's the rub. If he's a king, no problem, unless you're the king. If he's the Lord, no problem, unless you're the Lord. If he's the Almighty, no problem, unless you're the Almighty. Herod is faced with a choice. I've got to humble myself and acknowledge this king, or I've got to maintain my throne and set myself against this king. And that's been the choice that every individual has had to make from that day to this. Will I humble myself and receive Him for who He is? Or will I refuse Him because who He is requires something of me that I'm not willing to give Him? Herod doesn't have to get off his throne. He just has to bow his knees before a greater king. Herod does not have to give up his place in life. He just has to recognize the superior place of Jesus Christ. He's not asking you to burn all your clothes, give your house away, chop off your hands and feet, and sit in a corner miserable to prove your submission to his lordship. He's asking you to stop pretending you can save yourself, to stop pretending you can make yourself right with God, to stop trying through your religion and your efforts and your good deeds to prove that you're worthy of heaven. He's asking you to do what these wise men did. Worship Him. Herod wouldn't do it. We were reading this passage one Christmas day in the women's prison in central Florida. And as I read this passage to a, to a group of ladies who were... See, I could say here this morning, I could say, none of you was made to be here, you're here because you wanted to be. I couldn't say that there. It was truly a captive audience. And as we spoke that Christmas morning to those ladies, I, I pointed this out. In your Bible... No, no, let me back up. 
If you had the Greek, who's ever heard of the Greek? All right, how many have ever heard of Jimmy the Greek? Well, I'm close. They're both both the Greek. Anyway, in, in, in the Greek language in which we are told the Bible was first written, the New Testament was first written, on some manuscripts, all the letters are lowercase. Boys and girls, small letters. On some of the manuscripts, all the letters are uppercase, capital letters. All caps are all lowercase. There's no cap, lower, lower cap, none of that. It's all one or all the other. So, when the Bible is being translated into English, it is, it is entirely the preference of the translators what words they will capitalize and what words they will not capitalize. Entirely their preference. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. Herod the king. See the small k on king? That's Herod, the Roman emperor. Little k. Verse number 2 saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Capital K, that's Jesus. Now, that's just preference. But the men who translated your King James Bible preferred to make Herod little k and Jesus Big K. When I said that, about 20 of those women got up, headed for the back door. I thought they were walking out. They went to the book rack and put down what they had and shuffled through and got something else and came back and sat down. After the service, I, I, said, I said, what was that all about? And they said, every one of these Bibles but the King James has a capital K on Herod and a little K on Jesus. And we didn't want one of those Bibles. Now, how come a prison inmate can see that and a college professor can't? Now, they responded properly. Herod didn't respond properly. He wanted to be the big K. They wanted, and he wanted Jesus to be the little K. The wise men said, Jesus can be the big K, and we'll be the little K. And I'm asking you this morning, I'm not asking if you believe in Jesus. If you didn't believe in Jesus, you wouldn't be here. I'm not asking you if you believe that some of the things you've heard about Jesus are true. If you didn't believe that, you wouldn't be here. What I want to know is, in your life, who gets capitalized? Is it King you with a big K and King Jesus with a little K? Or is he the big K and are you the little K? That's the decision everybody's got to make. The Bible says in verse number 3, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And you know what he did? He tried to kill him. Tried to get rid of him. First he's troubled, then he plots to get rid of him. Now this morning, in, 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 in your town, in your county, in your state, in your nation, in your world, it doesn't matter where you look, people are okay with Jesus as long as they get to stay on the throne. But if he is called the Christ, that is, he's the only one that can reconcile you to God... They are troubled, 
And then they set out to get rid of him. We don't want him in our public places. We don't want him in our public conversation. We don't want you bringing him to our front door. We don't want you giving us these pieces of paper about him. Well, don't you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Leave me alone. As long as I can stay on the throne, he can be Jesus. But if he's Christ, I've got to get off the throne and bow before him like the wise man. And that I'm not willing to do. That's our world. I'm asking you this morning, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Herod was confronted by him, made the wrong decision. Many people in our community were confronted by him this week and made the wrong decision. I'm glad so many of you and so many others in other churches throughout our town today have made the right decision. I don't have to give up my home. I don't have to give up my health. I don't have to give up my job. I don't have to give up my family. But I do have to give up my claim to the throne and bow before Him and acknowledge Him as the only one who can reconcile me to God. Luke chapter number 2. Matthew, then Mark, then Luke. Luke, the second chapter. Luke chapter 2. We know this passage. Most of us have heard this passage of Scripture from the first preacher we ever heard preaching from the Bible. Linus. The first exposure many people ever had to the gospel was a Charlie Brown cartoon in December. I don't know if they still show that anymore or not. It's probably too offensive nowadays. Murder movies and killing movies and adultery movies are not a problem to Americans, but a cartoon where somebody reads out of the Bible freaks them out. So in Luke 2, verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that they went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Well, that's no new thing, is it? Verse number 3, And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up, from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, the Old Testament prophets said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. If Joseph had been a tax dodger, the scripture would never have been fulfilled. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just throwing a little something in there for you to think about. Because he was the house and lineage of David. You think there's a protest now at tax time? What if everybody had to go to the town where they were born to pay their taxes? Be good for hotel business on April 15, but everybody else be unhappy about it. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child, so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, because she had others later, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. How about that? Now the angel, look, look the angel speaking. The angel is not referencing the baby lying in a manger. 
The, ba- the angel is referencing the person they have long adored who has become the baby lying in the manger. The angel doesn't say it's Jesus. The angel said, that's the Lord. And the Lord is Christ. And Christ the Lord has come to save you. He's the Savior. So Jesus is the name humans gave to the human body in which the Lord came to live. And the Lord came to live in that body so He could be Christ, which is the one who saves His people from their sins. So I ask you this morning, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? See, He's God, the Lord, become man, Jesus, to die on the cross to save us from our sins, Christ. That's why we don't take the name of the Lord in vain. That's why we don't use Jesus' name as a swear word. And that's why we never say foolish things like, Oh Christ. We honor the holy name of God come down to earth to save us from our sins and reconcile us to the Father. Luke 24. One more stop this morning. Luke, the 24th chapter. Luke, chapter 24. 532 times Christ is found in the Bible. Now, now think, just, just for a minute. 532 times Christ is found in the Bible. Baptism, less than 20. Membership, never. Sacraments, never. Mass, never. Tithe, less than 10. Why does religion place all of this emphasis on human works when God has placed so much emphasis on the Savior who has reconciled us to Himself? I'll tell you why. Because Baptism is the way to heaven doesn't make you get off your throne. Good works and church membership is the way to heaven doesn't make you get off your throne. But if the only way to heaven is Jesus Christ, then you've got to come down off whatever you're sitting on as your claim to eternity and bow before Him and trust Him as your Savior. And men don't want to do... They'll crawl up a mountain on their knees to a statue before they'll get on their knees and say, Jesus, save me. 532 times Christ in your New Testament. Where does God put the emphasis? On His Son. Where do you put the emphasis? Ought to be on His Son. I said this other night in Bible class, I don't want to get too far off track, but I just said this other night, people come and go in every church. They do. But if you come to a ch- any church that's, that's, that's right, if that church is right, that church will honor Jesus Christ. If you're coming to a church to fellowship based on 
your views of education, your views of clothing, your views of style of evangelism, your views on style of music, any, anything but Jesus. If the focal point is not Jesus Christ, you won't last. Because the church isn't about what we eat or what we wear or what, how we school or how we... The church is about Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is the focal point of your life and Jesus Christ is the focal point of our lives, we will fellowship together until Christ comes again. But if something else is the rocking horse upon which you ride morning, noon, and night. You're going to be riding that rocking horse all by yourself one of these days because we can't all fit on your rocking horse. I used to say hobby horse. Brother David told me nobody knows what a hobby horse is anymore. They had outlaw because the springs. A kid could get his finger in the springs and, and sue the manufacturers. So now it's just rocking horse. And you probably got to wear a helmet now to wear a rocking horse in your living room. But I'm way off track now. All right. Luke, Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. The Bible says, this is the morning of Jesus' resurrection. He's walking. He's walking with two men. And look at, look at what the Bible says in verse number 19. And he said to them, what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth. What's that? That's the man. What have y'all been talking about? We've been talking about Jesus of Nazareth, just the man, and which was a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God. So they know all about him, but they don't know what they should have known about him. Verse 25, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now look at it as it's written. They saw a man, but he was Christ. He wasn't just a prophet from Nazareth. He was the Messiah who came to take away the sins of the world. And what he had to do on that road to Emmaus was open the Bible and show them, I am the one who took care of your sin so you could be reconciled to God. That's what they didn't see. They saw Messiah, Daniel 9, but Daniel 9 said Messiah would be cut off. Not for himself, but for the people. And when he was cut off, they said, well, it couldn't have been him. We thought he was the Messiah. What a shame they believe one verse and not the verse two verses below it. And so the scripture goes on to say, look at chapter 24, verse number 44. And he said to them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then open ye their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now, if Messiah, Christ, if He suffered on the cross, and He did, if He rose from the dead the third day, and He did, what would that mean to the world? Did He, in fact, draw a line in the sand and say, sin can stop here? 
Verse 46. Send to them, thus it is written, and thus it behoove Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. If Messiah Christ died, was buried, and rose again, then guess what we get to go and tell everybody? God will put away your sins and reconcile you to Himself if you'll repent of what you're believing now and believe on Jesus Christ. That's our message to the world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Who's that baby? They called His name Jesus. What's His title? Christ What's it mean? Messiah. What's Messiah mean? The one to put an end to transgressions. The one to make reconciliation for iniquity. The one to bring in everlasting righteousness. What did He do to make that happen? He died upon the cross to pay for sins. Now that He's risen from the dead, what must I do to be saved? Herod, get off your throne and bow to Him. American, 2,100 years later, get off your throne and bow to Him. It's that simple. God made it that simple because He wants all men to be saved. He wants all women to come to Him. He wants all boys and girls to know Jesus and everlasting life. So, i, I, I tell you something I try to do, and, and, and then we'll, we'll pray together. I, I, I try my best to do this. Whenever I hear somebody say, Jesus, I, I, I always say, is my Lord and Savior. Whenever I hear somebody say, Christ, I say, came into the world to save sinners. Whenever I hear somebody say, oh my God, I say, thank you for loving me. I want every time I hear somebody curse that lovely name, I want to respond to it by telling God what I think of that name. You're going to curse it, I'm going to praise it. You're going to mock it, I'm going to lift it up. I can't make people stop cursing the Lord, but I can take their curses and use them to praise my God. Jesus, sweetest name I know. Christ, Savior of sinners, Lord of all. Just just answer it. Just answer. You don't have to shout out loud and get in a fight with anybody. Just tell God what you think. They're going to curse your son's name. I'm going to tack a praise right on the end of it. Tell you what, everybody, everybody doesn't feel about your son the way that man does. Everybody doesn't think about, about your beloved the way I do. Here's what I think of that name. Just offer it right back up to God. 532 times Christ is in the New Testament how often is he in your conversation? Your thoughts. May the Lord help us. Father, thank you for the Bible. It's so clear, so easy to understand, so beautiful in the way that it lifts up and magnifies your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we worship him, not just in a church house on Sunday morning, but all the days of our life we ask and pray. Amen.